What is good, everybody, and welcome to Between Frets, a space where female musicians meet and discuss all things music. I am Sean, Shawnee Sean Marshall, and I am doing very lovely, thank you for asking. Me and the rest of the founders are working very, very hard and making some new moves preparing for 2020. So make sure you catch up with us on our social media at Fret Sisters. Also, we do have merch, so check it out on one website, and we will post the link on there for y'all later, is fretsisters.storeenvy.com. You can check this out, check out our merch. We have a lot of varieties of our merch, t-shirts, hoodies, jackets, hats, um, mugs, beach towels, socks, <laughs> almost you name it try everything to create our brand into many things so we have a wonderful show for you guys today so when we come back i will be joining with singer songwriter and bass player pia renee so stay tuned Hey, Jenny Jam here. Got a video? Tag us at Fret Sisters. Or you can email us at fretsistersmusic at gmail.com. And we're on Facebook and Instagram at Fret Sisters. So don't forget to hit that follow button so you can catch up on all the latest topics, tea, and interviews. Peace. And we are back. Joining me is a vocalist and bassist from Chicago, Illinois, who is determined to bring soul and love back to R&B music and coined herself as a servant of love. Uh, how you doing, Miss Pia? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. So let's uh, start by um, when you was growing up. Um, what's your earliest memory of music and what was your first instrument? That's a great question. It gives me all the feels. <laughs> so my earliest memory of music was watching Snow White, the original Disney version um, on VHS. This was a, a part of my childhood, you know, when you watch movies over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So I was rewinding the tape, <laughs> watching it over and over again. And there's a part in Snow White where she's singing with the birds and they're doing this like call and response thing. And that stood out to me as a little girl. I had to be about five or six. Mm-hmm. And I went inside my mother's closet because I used to play in my mama's closet. And I noticed when I closed the door, I could hear myself really well. So I said, I, you know, I'm a, I want to see if I can do that. So I went. I paused the movie. I went in my mom's closet and I did the the same. I was able to mimic her sounds with the birds. And that's when I discovered that I could sing. And I would say my first instrument is my voice. Yeah, singing is like one of the like the one of the basic things before you even like touch an instrument. Absolutely, yeah. And and I love the like hearing your own voice when you go like Especially, I used to do the same thing: go in a, in my in my closet and hear myself and hearing these acoustics 
think it was definitely the first thing but what um artists or anyone that influenced you um that got you interested in the bass man that's a great question so when I started on let me tell you how interesting this is so the first guitar I ever picked up was a bass the first mm-hmm. one and and I le- I've discovered I play le- well I'm left-handed naturally but my daughter's grandfather plays bass guitar and he had one sitting around his house so I picked it up and I turned it upside down which let me know what my orientation was on the bass um, but what inspired me to pick up guitar in general was Prince so I started I had a I have a really good friend he goes by the name of Frankie Blaze he's an amazing self-taught guitarist and I love Prince and you know so I wanted to be a guitar player and I wanted to be like Prince but oddly enough the first guitar I picked up was bass who knew I would come back to that first thing I laid my hands on so um I started learning bass. I mean, excuse me. I, when I picked up the guitar, I didn't have a, a, a understanding, a cognizance of what was beginning, beginner, intermediate, or advanced learning material. So, I get this guitar. I go to Guitar Center. I buy what's known as the Guitar Grimoire, and that's super advanced. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know, but I had no idea. So, I bought the DVD and the book. So I don't know if you ever seen the DVD, the, the DVD but it's kind of like on the fucking, excuse me. <laughs> it's no, on it's the, on the filter. You can say whatever you say. Oh, good. So it's it's on the like heavy metal side. So dude had like this hood on and sitting on this throne. And it was kind of like the angel of death. And he was talking about modes and chords. It was, and, and I didn't understand what the fuck is a mode? Like, what is that? <laughs> I literally was watching the, the DVD and I started crying. I, I started bawling. Like, what the, what's wrong with me? I don't get it. I, but I didn't know that that's advanced material. I didn't know. So I continued on to my journey. And, you know, I said, you know what? Let me go down to the local college and see if they got some, like, if they offer lessons or classes. So I go down. I had never been in college before. I never mm-hmm. set foot on the college campus. So I go downtown to Harold Washington College in Chicago. I walk in there. I'm nervous. I don't know who to talk to. People coming in and out. I don't know what to do. So I go up to the security desk and I said, well, you know, do you guys have guitar classes here? He's like, oh, you got to look in that book over there. And he pointed and I was so timid and nervous and, you know, feeling sensitive about not knowing what to do. I just, you know, I just looked and didn't know what he was talking about. So I just walked out the building feeling under, feeling defeated. Mm. So I walked, as I walked out the building, I saw this guy walking down the street with a, a gig bag on his back with what I thought was a guitar in it. So I chased this man down. It's like, excuse me, excuse me, sir, excuse me. I was like, can you please tell me where, where I can get some guitar lessons from? And he stepped back and he looked me up and down like, guitar? Don't play no guitar, play bass. and it was so funny so I was like well what's the difference and and he he unzipped his gig bag and he was explaining the strings and the difference and he took me under his wing and that was my first bass mentor and uh, I bought from that moment I went on eBay and my first bass guitar was a five string um, Bryce guitar Bryce bass I paid like 300 bucks for it it was probably worth like 100 (laughs) and and that was my first bass and um, 
I, the rest was history. I would just pick up bass and work on my fingering and work on playing um, scales and stuff while watching TV just to get my dexterity built. I eventually did go back to the school and found uh, classes, music classes, and I started excuse me I, I became a music major and I enrolled in like um the, the school band it was you know it's a community college so it's not like a full blown you know like you know HBCU band it was like more of a jazz ensemble type of deal yeah. so that's 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 at the foundation of my playing oh and, and shortly after that you know I, I got real real comfortable and settled in being a music student and um, my my niece's bro- father he passed away, and um, at his repast, my sister's one of her friends she grew up with was a musician, and I have a, a tattoo of a bass clef around my right ear. So he saw the bass clef around my ear. It's like, oh man, you play bass? I was like, yeah, I'm learning. And he was like, well, I know this guy who plays bass, and he's really good. He, he plays this reggae club now. At this time. I'm 21, and he invited me to hit to come out to the club with him and his wife because the guy he was a keyboardist. He's like, yeah, you you need to see this guy play. He's great. Da 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 da. I was like, okay, fine. So about a month later, they hit me up and they took me to this club in Chicago called the Exodus, which is not around anymore. So mind you, I had never been in a club in my life. Mm. I got 21. I go to the club, you know. We got there early because, you know, the people who took me was cheap. They didn't want to pay the cover. So we got there before, <laughs> <laughs> before the cover charge kicked in. And so I'm standing around. Ain't nobody there. And I'm like, I got real cerebral about it. Like, oh, my God. So am I supposed to stand on the side or do I stand in the middle of the floor when the people come? Am I supposed to, like, dance right here when nobody's here? It was I was such a fucking nerd about being in the club. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually the band comes. They set up. He pointed out this guy. You know, so it was a reggae band, you know, reggae club, you know, reggae music. And so the band just started. So the guy who was playing bass was playing a a Steinberger headless bass, which is very, very compact, really small. And it's very common in reggae music. So I'm watching this dude play and I'm just looking at his fingers like, you know, watching everything he was doing, hoping I could learn something by osmosis, you know, because that was my thing when I was first learning. If I watch hard enough, I'll get it. But no, <laughs> that ain't how it worked. So eventually when the band took their first break, um, Marlon the, the, is the gentleman who took me to the club with his wife. He he pulled the, the guy who was playing bass, who's Al is his name. He, pull, he pulled him to the side and I could tell they was having a conversation about me because he was pointing in. So Al comes over and introduces himself to me. Now, mind you, Al is a full-blown Jamaican with a full-blown accent. And he starts talking to me and I'm like, what the fuck is he saying? Like, I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm looking at him and I'm nodding and smiling. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck dude is saying, but I don't want to be rude. So I'm nodding and smiling and he just looking at me like, what? Like, I guess he was asking me questions and I wasn't responding. I was just nodding and smiling. But eventually that became my second and, and longest music mentor. And he's still my one of my creative partners to this day. And I and that's how I began playing um, reggae music. And I traveled the world um, 
doing singing background in world music, which basically world music is basically pop music in another language. To me, that's my interpretation of it. And uh, so I've been talking for a minute. So now's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, everybody has their, you know, experience or like their memories of their first gig. Can you like tell us your experience about that? Girl, let me, ooh. <laughs> so, okay, so I played with the the, the, the cross-cultural ensemble is what our name was at, at Harold Washington College. So I, I can t- technically call that my first, okay, so that was my first school gig. I was super fucking nervous and I wanted, if I could like ball myself up and hide up behind my amp, I would have done that. I was so nervous, but my first club gig in a band, I was playing reggae and I was kept telling the sound man to turn the bass down like and you and in reggae the bass is very very prominent it's like even though it's not a lead chordal instrument the bass is very very pronounced in reggae so I kept saying turn the bass down turn the bass down (laughs) I didn't I didn't want to draw attention to myself and I was finding columns on the stage to like kind of duck behind and I was trying my best to not be seen. So my first gig, I was super nervous and I was very timid and I did not want to be seen or hurt. <laughs> Man, that felt the same way with me. Like mm-hmm. uh, my first gig, and it was actually it was a church gig and usually me playing guitar, I was like sitting here uh, with the amp. I was sitting next to the amp. I had my little corner. I was like hiding right in the corner so nobody would see me. And I even turned my guitar down <laughs> so, so I don't want to draw no attention to hitting wrong notes because it'd be a read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was very, um, yeah, that, everybody usually had these experiences. Like you get so nervous and you're afraid you might mess up. Um, but there are a lot of funny moments happening on stage, like broken strings, amps caught on fire, or anything like that. Do you have any funny moments happen while you was on stage? Girl, fuck yeah. So, one time, <laughs> I had this little-ass skirt on, right? And that was my thing, like, showing my legs on stage and all of that. So... One time I had this little skirt on and we were, we again, playing reggae out in um, Indiana, which is the next state over from Illinois. So this one guy kept standing in front of me, in front of the stage. And I'm like, why the fuck is this dude? <laughs> so, girl, eventually, I, you know how you can, if you, okay, okay, I'm not trying to gross you out. But the way I was standing, and because my skirt was little, you can kind of see my booty cheeks. What? (laughs) Girl! (laughs) You can see my booty cheeks from the front. So, yeah. So that was some, any majorly embarrassing moment. No, I take that back. Because it was one time, this other show, I was just real nervous. Like, I don't know, like, there would be times when I know the material, but I just got super nervous and just couldn't play. And then once I got, I missed the note and then I felt people was looking. It just was a bass Tourette's. Like none of the notes was right. The timing wasn't right. So I was going to say that most of my weird moments was with wardrobe or something I had on. But no, there was this one time we did this private party for Kentucky Derby and 
Jamaicans in reggae have a, a a bad habit of calling songs that you don't know, you've never practiced, you've never rehearsed, and they'll call the notes like, and we do like the number system. So they're like one, three, five, 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 one, two, three, one, 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 four, two, and it's like I don't know this fucking song. We didn't rehearse it. Don't fucking do that to me because somebody came and slid you ten dollars because they wanted to get super cat. I don't know the song, you know. So yeah, but yeah. So the derby, the the day that we played the derby, I didn't know the song, and I had a meltdown uh, on stage. And the time my booty cheeks could be seen from the front, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Was there another career path you decided as a child other than music, or you just had that moment like that just hit you like I, I want want to do music for a living? Girl, I, you know, I was a little bit of a, I was peculiar as a child and I'm still peculiar. So I used to say weird. <laughs> My sister called me weird, but it's fine. Weird is a badge of honor to me. When I was little, I used to want to be like a spy and an assassin because of the movies I watched. <laughs> and I probably need therapy to dig deeper into that. <laughs> I used to want to be a spy. <laughs> But no, 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 like real legit, like I want to be a fireman or a doctor. I used to want to be Grace Jones and a spy and an assassin and then a musician. (laughs) (laughs) So you have your latest album, The Return. Like how did that title and that leading single um, come about? Can you like explain the little behind that project? Yes, girl. So... Um, I hadn't done an album since 2011 mm. and you know for I just kind of had got off into some other stuff like and I just kind of felt like no nah, I'm gonna just keep it a buck I had got heavy off into church and I felt that I was made to feel like I had to choose that over my music and over my music being expressed a certain way so I became like the praise and worship leader and all of that. And I, and, and music took a back seat to, well, I was still doing music just in a different capacity, but as far as writing albums that weren't, you know, gospel or inspirational or even praise and worship, that genre in and of itself, I, I didn't do anything. So when I, when things in my life shifted and I recognized that, hey musicians are really the only people that get pressed in the church and you made to feel like oh well if you ain't doing this specifically for the lord or in the lord's name or with the lord as the first thing coming out your mouth then you are not allowed to express or to even really you know take advantage of opportunities that your skill set would afford to you that are not you know uh, governed by the church or sanctioned by the church people don't do that to teachers they don't do that to other people who work in like say if I was a Sunday school teacher and I taught at blippity blip grammar school nobody's tripping about that yeah but because I'm a musician hey you can't do that if it ain't for Jesus so you know when I can so to wrap up my response to this question I the return was hey I'm returning to myself and I'm returning to my love, which is music, which I, I allow to be taken from me, you know, even me, like myself personally, I, I, a lot of my who I was, 
I suppressed or tried to fit into a certain type of mold to be around a certain type of people because I felt like I believed the thought or the notion that that's what I had to do in order for God to be pleased with me. And I couldn't have been more miserable and somewhat unproductive because of it. So the return is, that's what that's about. I'm I'm returning to my purpose, my love, my, 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 my gifts, my abilities, my my authentic self which nobody can take from me and which god ain't tripping about you know what i mean amen <laughs> um do you have like any new music behind the words that you probably get it now i do <laughs> so right now i'm working on a uh a, a full-length reggae album uh because and this is why um i come from like and this is my this is my little narrow view of the world. I just feel like most people, most black girls, if you're a musician, you grew up in church or you played for church, you know? And and that's not the case for everybody, of course. But, you know, the cloth I'm cut from, I've been in church all my life. Like I was I'd have been in every d- denomination. I was AME, Kojic apostolic, non-denominational, prophetic, evangelical, all of the little, the, the little you digs. So, um, you know, when you grew up in church, first of all, I grew up singing in church. So, you know, the example that you look to is like a Whitney Houston. You know, she grew up in church and then she quote unquote crossed over or, you know, went to a, 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 a worldwide, you know, the world stage per se. So, um, this, so my point in saying that is, as a musician when you when you have a heavy church background you usually play in church and that's where you get your training that's where you get your bearings and your experience but for me as a musician I went to reggae that's where I got my that's where I cut my teeth as a young professional musician and that's why I did a lot of developing and to me that's really significant because I'm not Caribbean I don't have my my parents and grandparents they're not island people so for me to end up in doing reggae music and then doing world music and singing background for Ethiopian you know music royalty so to speak that's really significant to my and unique to my development and my experience as an artist especially again coming out of the church world so um, you know I want to do I want to make sure that I have a reggae album that commemorates that part of my experience and also because when I've tried to get on like certain reggae festivals or reggae um, shows some of the promote some of the pushback I've gotten from people that are not necessarily familiar with my work or my background they've said like oh she's an R&B singer she can't sing reggae she's not a reggae singer but it's like anybody can you would def- you should definitely want me to sing it reggae because it takes a different type of vocal chops to sing R&B than it does reggae. But I've experienced people kind of being discriminatory toward me because of it. So I'm putting out the project for a number of reasons. And, and that reason being so that folks in that, you know, that control opportunities that are unique to the genre, they can never say, oh, I'm not an R- uh, a reggae artist because I do have a reggae project under my belt. Man, that is amazing. I can't wait for it to be released. I want to hear more of your music. <laughs> and put, put it all out. I will put it all out on social media. It's like, go get this album. This album's hot. 
No, thank you, girl. And it's definitely is it's halfway done. So I'm I'm super 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 excited about it, and uh, I'm super excited about everything I do. But I just love um, I love how it's turning out, and it's not me trying to fit in. Like you know, reggae can can it does have this kind of cookie cutter, you know, sound and cookie cutter tough top or typical topics within the genre. Like people sing about Jah, which is God, or they sing about weed, and they sing about you know political issues but it's like nobody want to keep hearing that same old shit you know what I mean and I mean and not not dishonoring anybody's expression or dishonoring their expression in the topics that are important to them whether they fall into those aforementioned categories but sometimes you know for me I've met some of these people behind the scenes and some of the stuff they talking about with regard especially the spiritual stuff it's like you couldn't be more of a fucking antithesis clown (laughs) you just a whole ass jerk and you singing about how Jaws gonna get Babylon like you a fucking clown but anyway I digress (laughs) (laughs) I understand you were on the hit television show Empire and that's that it's gonna be announced this last season but what was that I'm like what happened? <laughs> I don't know. But what was that experience like? And do you plan on doing any other TV appearances or stage shows? So, um, yes, I do plan on doing some more TV shows. And um, I'm actually uh, writing for music for TV ads and films. So you will definitely be hearing my music and commercials and TV shows and things like that in the very near future. Um, with regard to the whole Empire experience, it was fucking amazing. Like it was, it was awesome. Like my first time, you know. At all, and I want to say this. I want to preface what I'm about to say with this. For singers, you know, that saying, put get an instrument under your belt. That is my strong advice because, you know. You, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the the saying, "Be a big fish in a small pond" instead of a little fish in a big pond. Yeah. When you were singer, people, you know, we 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 are a dime a dozen. Now, not to dis- diminish the gift, not to diminish its its power and its impact, because God made so many of us. Because what we have, so many people need it. That's why there's so many of us. But the way that the opportunities are set up. When to me, when you have an instrument under your belt, you make yourself that much more marketable and you open up so many more opportunities for yourself. Like me being a bass player, that I got hired for Empire because I'm a bassist. They didn't give a shit about my voice mm-hmm. at all. You know, but because I'm I'm I guess somewhat of an anomaly, I'm a I'm a female bassist. And you know, and yeah, so that's what got me that job. Like a lot of opportunities that I've had that were very unique and very strong ones were because I play bass. Like I opened for Layla Hathaway in January of 2018. And part of me winning that opportunity was the fact that I'm a, you know, not not only do I sing, but I play an instrument as well. So that has really, really helped to put me over the edge in a lot of ways. So I just want to, you know, encourage singers. You, you will, it will never hurt you to add an instrument to what you're doing. If it, it helps you, develop your voice it helps you to express your ideas and and it helps you with your craft but the question was about empire so it was awesome um i 
my first time on set, I had to be there at 5 a.m. We shot for like 12 hours and I had them big old um, go-go boots on and my feet was killing me at the end, but I had to make sure no matter, you know, how bad my feet was hurt, that shot had to be nice. <laughs> it had to look good. I had to look like I was having fun and it had to look authentic. And, you know, Terrence Howard was really, really nice. He didn't have to, but he like walked up to me and introduced himself and welcomed me to the set. Um, some of the other people, other cast members, they they, they weren't like um, immediately engaging, but everybody had a pleasantness about them. Um, Jesse Smollett was really, really nice. He was welcoming. He was, um, you could tell he Hollywood, but he was everyday, he was intentionally everyday people with us, you know, interacting with the musicians. Um, and the second time I appeared on there, I actually got to meet uh, Frank Gatson behind the scenes. He's, um, I don't, yeah, he was doing some creative direct, cre he was a creative director for some projects Jesse Smollett was working on. And I got to meet him in passing. So, you know, it was great. And one thing I learned is no matter how excited you are and no matter how, um, how much you may love the people that you get to interact with and you may love their work and you may want to work with them you got to be very very cool and relaxed you can't just be oh my god can i get a picture can you sign this can i get your number because can i give you my you gotta you gotta be chill because if you are um a little overzealous and even if you mean well sometimes you know you there to do a job and you there to do a specific job so you have to just be chill and say hello and act like you belong there. You know, not like a jerk or not like, you know, entitled, but just be easy. Like, this is what I do and this is my realm. And I ain't finna flip out my shoes because I seen, you know, Beyonce and Michael Jackson's choreographer, like Andy Bowleg is so goddamn. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I gotta say, I hope I, I, I appear again before the season and the season, the final season wraps, but I don't know, you know, I, I won't know until I get that call. Let's, uh, the next question is very fun. Like, um, what did you like to do when you're not doing music and you're not acting, you're not playing with your bass? What do you enjoy in your mostly spare time? Girl, shit, watching cartoons and eating. <laughs> that sounds so like juvenile, but, um, yeah, I just like to relax and to chill and to feel peace around me and to not be stressed. And I love comedy. I love to, I just like to feel comfort, you know? And music takes up a lot of my thought process every day. Like every single day, I'm always thinking about how I can, you know, look my best, be my best, sound my best. And what am I doing? What is my diet doing to my voice? And what is my, how often am I practicing? Or what are these things that, like, what is the job? How is the job impacting my ability to, you know, keep my skill sets up to par? So I, I really do spend a lot of time thinking about the craft. And, but when I'm not doing it, I like, I just like to relax and be with family and um, just do things that don't stress me out. Like I have an empathic personality. So like regular TV stresses me out. <laughs> I, I take stuff, I can watch TV and I'd be like, I really be mad at these people. Like number one, they real. Number two, I know them. And number three, their scripted actions are personal 
against me. Like that's how I react to TV. <laughs> it is so <laughs> aggravating. I be really in my feelings. So I just have to watch things that are neutral and um, just funny so that I can just chill out. Because <laughs> drama yeah. is, is too much for the kids. Yeah. Too much. Especially all the reality TV is all that petty I don't know. Let me let me not let me not get it twisted because I do enjoy. Um, oh shit! What is it called? Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. I like the Atlanta one. Yes. And I do like um, Basketball Wives. They ask me tripping me out. I, <laughs> I dip in and out. Like I dip in and out. I don't watch it faithfully, but I dip in and out. And then I had to chill out with watching um, Love and Hip Hop Atlanta because I was just starting to get real like. I won't blame it on TV, but just certain stuff. Like, I don't know. I just got real loose with like calling people random bitches. Like, bitch, this is like, when did you ever start talking like that? Like, you don't even, you used to be offended by that. Like, who's calling people bitches? When? No, that's not okay. And now I'm just, that shit just rolled off my tongue so easy now. Like, you need to curb your intake of what are you watching? What are you taking in? Cause you just, you, you know, that ain't cool. <laughs> do you have any oh my god <laughs> sorry do you have any advice to um any aspiring female musicians young and old and what that advice defer depending on their age no yes number one as far as the age piece you're never too old never 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 um and I used to harp on that I didn't start playing bass till I was like 20 what was I, 21, 22 or something like that? And I used to really feel bad. I felt behind the curve because a lot of, I felt like if, you know, if you want to be a musician, you're supposed to start when you like nine or something. But, you know, Eric Clapton, one of the most celebrated musicians of ever, didn't start till he was in his 20s. And he had many false starts before then. He just did not, he started young, but he did not get a grasp the concept of the instrument until he was in his 20s so he started a bunch of times didn't get it the shit didn't click to the man was well in his 20s now if you 30 40 50 60 whatever it will never ever ever be a disadvantage to you to pick up an instrument never now if you're looking at it you picking up an instrument through the eyes of oh i gotta look a certain way on stage i gotta be young or if i want to play for a certain artist i have to be this age like you, you can't make it about what external influences. Like if I look at, oh, I, I want to play for Rihanna or Normani. I'm, I'm not in my 20s, but I know what the fuck I'm doing. And I'm not going to ever be like, oh, I'm not in my 20s. I, that opportunity will never come to me. No, it's all about how you feel about yourself within. And music is so much bigger than um reducing it to an opportunity or reducing it to um the mind frame of oh you got to be this age and have this look and all that old bullshit music is beneficial to your heart and your mind and your soul and your sales and even if you pick it up and you continue to play it has benefits for the aging brain and the aging body so it's so much bigger than the shallow shit that we reduce it to you know, being a musician is what I mean so you know if you're gonna pick it up pick it up and you don't have to be you know five out you know 12 16 hours a day seven days a week no even if you do 10 minutes a day if that's all you got then that's what you do because that stuff adds up mm -hmm. it adds up and 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 
over time, you'll look back and say, wow, there was a time I never thought I would be able to sing and play at the same time. There was a time I literally thought that I would watch people sing and play. And I, I used to think, man, am I ever going to be able to do that? Oh, man, I remember saying to myself, I wouldn't. But now I can't. And, you know, anything that you decide that you're going to do, even if you have thoughts that you can't or you may not be as good at it, just still put in the work and put in the time and you'll prove yourself wrong. Um, that's the advice I have with regard to age. Like, don't don't buy into the whole like I, I believe it's the pop mentality because in pop, you age in dog years. If you 12, you 18, you 18, you 26, you 26, you fucking a corpse. Hey. So, <laughs> You can't, you can't do that. That's one thing I love about reggae. You can have one tooth in your mouth, a fucking glass eyeball, and be ugly and musty. As long as your shit is good and your message is righteous and your message resonates, I'll say, you can be on that stage and you can, you can be 90 years old still singing reggae. And you ain't gotta have all the, the look, you know, that a lot of um, American forms of music say you have to have to be relevant. That's one of the things I really, really love about reggae. And one thing I take away from that, if I decide to do whatever, it don't matter what somebody else outside of me has to say about what I should look like and all of that. If my skills are where they need to be and my expression is undeniable, ain't shit nobody else can say or do to stop me from being where I want to be. Because I got, I put in the work and the time and my the rent that realm is gonna honor me because nobody does what I do the way I do it and I do it well and then as far as advice you know this is like um fret sisters so I would imagine a lot of women follow this podcast and follow you know your pages take that female shit off of what we what you do oh, I'm a female this I'm a female that now play it play that card if that's gonna get you the opportunity but don't let that sit on, oh, I'm a female bassist, I'm a female guitarist, I'm a female pianist. Because when you step in the room, you gotta deliver. Male, female, brown, yellow, Puerto Rican, or Haitian, you gotta deliver. So sometimes, and this is this is what I bought into, what kind of handicapped my skill set, because I was all about looking good, looking the part, but I looked unique, I looked interesting, I looked attractive, but sometimes my shit wasn't up to par. My skills weren't up to par and I didn't sound the best. So I didn't look the best. So I got on stage doing all these fucking moves and I opened my mouth and I'm out of breath and shit. So it's like really put in the time, put in the work, let your image, your your body, your makeup, your whatever, however you want to present yourself. That shit is the icing on the cake. But make sure the cake is baked and the cake is right and the, and the ingredients are in there the way they need to be so when you serve that to somebody it's like they ain't getting the cake that look good but on the inside it's styrofoam like damn I thought that was some real ass cake that ain't shit so <laughs> you know yeah for real like you know put in put your head down and do the work and ain't nobody gonna be able to deny you nothing you being a woman or a female is just it's, it's the it's just the mwah. it just adds to it but never let that be never lead with that yeah, don't get me wrong. Milk that shit because <laughs> there I, is I, a power I, to I'm it. Letting that, I'm letting that marinate in my brain right now while I'm sitting here taking these notes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, us we are like typical gearheads, I would say. Uh, can you tell us like what was your um your your gear that you used on stage, like your go-to, Rick? Oh, you know what? To be honest, 
I don't when I've done shows the the, the rigs are usually provided mm-hmm. um but right now I do have um what I practice out of at home is the TC electronics um the amp where they have the uh where you can hook up into it there's an app that goes with it and you can say if there's they have a sound bank in the app and mm-hmm. you can pull up a sound bank that's a, okay for example if they have they may have a marcus miller sound they may have a neek west sound they may have a less claypool sound in the app you can pull the app up uh, pull that sound bank up in the app hook it up to the amp and you can actually play through the app and it'll make your bass sound like that person's sound through the app wow yeah so it's a the tc electronics let me tell you what um series it is the the bg250 the tone print i am i'm i have to get back not back but i have to get into like the gear part because i've not been I've not been like a gearhead or a, I know what I, I know the sound I want and I know I could just I go to the, the uh, tech shop and describe it like I want a fat bottom nice mids nice highs and I want it clean but I don't be like oh I need a, uh, I need this uh, these EMGs with the humbuckers and I need the uh, the preamp from I don't, I'm not super versed in that whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell our listeners uh, where they can follow you on social media or anything like that? Absolutely. I My social media handle for all platforms, I won't say all because, you know, there's a thing called TikTok and I'm not on that at all. And I barely I have a Twitter, but I don't use it. So my handle is I am, I am Pia, P-I-A, Renee, R-E-N-E-E. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchats, Twitter. You're going to see probably a two-year-old tweet on there, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's where I'm at. And I, my website is uh, P-I-A-R-E-N-E-E dot com. And that's the way I be in these digital streets. <laughs> so I would like to thank Pia Renee for joining in with us. This is a, this is a very Keep It 100 show that I have ever so did so far in the season which is very awesome because because I don't like to hold back my feelings either so this is going to be definitely unfiltered <laughs> Yay! and um, if you like to follow us on social media anything um, like upcoming episodes behind the scenes our quick tips our daily posts make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Fret Sisters there you have it. I'm Sean, Shawnee, Sean Marshall, and thank you for listening. Bye.